you're in the book of Revelation, or if you're looking at maps, turn left, and uh, you'll come to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Let's read what Holy Scripture says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. What is it with the Apostle John and love? He apparently cannot think or write about anything else. I feel like we've already read this. Um, We've been here before. Is there really that much more that we have to learn? Actually, uh, would you indulge me for a minute? This won't take more than two minutes, but I want to look back, flip back with me to 1 John chapter 2. This is the third major section we've been in, in chapter 4. And look at 1 John 2, verse uh, 7. All right, 1 John 2, 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. He starts the same way. Did you notice that verse 7? Dear friends, dear friends, love one another, love one another. Well, look at chapter 3, verse 11. Here we go. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We've heard it from the beginning. We've heard it in the middle. We've heard it at the end. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. How do we know, John? I'm dying for you to tell me. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What is it with the Apostle John and love? He writes about this over and over again. Apparently he thinks that there's something about love that we've either forgotten in the 60 seconds since we read it last time or uh, something that we just don't get about love. Let's give John, just for the minute, let's give John the benefit of the doubt and imagine that he knows better than we do. Actually, this is a divine human book, right? 
We believe in the divine human authorship of the Bible. It's written by the Apostle John and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit certainly knows better than we do what we need to know about love. So he writes about it a lot. So we'll give John the benefit of the doubt. But then John writes in verses 7 and 8 that if you don't know God, you can't really love. That's kind of the inverse of what he says, but isn't that what he's... Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you don't know God the way John thinks you should know God, then you don't actually know what love is. That seems overly broad. Does it seem overly broad? Apparently John, doesn't, doesn't John know all about the love songs on Spotify that he could listen to? Or um, what, has, John apparently hasn't seen any of the romantic comedies that were in movie theaters uh, last year. I'd like to take John into Barnes & Noble and take him over to the romance section of the bookstore and say, look, John, we know about love. Look at all these books. Uh, or maybe John hasn't seen any of those television shows where over and over again the, the writers uh, for season after season, season stretch it out. There's these two uh, people, the, the man and the woman in this, this, it doesn't matter what they are, sometimes they're cops, sometimes they're attorneys, sometimes they're doctors, but, but they've met each other and are they actually, season after season, are they going to fall in love? We know what's going to happen, but they don't know. And when is it going to happen and when is that moment going to come? It's love, it's love. We know about love. Religious people and non-religious people alike, we know about love. Unless there's something that we're missing about love. Hmm. Well, I'm going to illustrate it with you, and this is going to be horrible. All right? So, I have a recorder with me. So, um, this, is, this is an alto recorder. It might, I had to buy one of these uh, recorders for my kids to play. Uh, in school, it was, it was a smaller, it was a soprano recorder I had to buy for them. This is an alto recorder. I've owned it for 25 years. Okay, I'm going to play a song. It's going to be terrible. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You'll, you'll recognize it, I hope. Okay. recognize that song? Okay, it's going to get bad from here on out. Okay, ready? I can't hit that note. All right. Yeah, okay, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I have to ask you a question. Can I play the recorder? Yeah, okay, see, uh, I told you it was going to be bad. At least you're honest. Can I play the recorder? Well, you, the charitable ones in the room said yes, right? Let me tell you something. That's the only song I know how to play. Actually, I probably could, could eke out hot cross buns if I really had to. Okay? But that's the only song. I, according, I have a book. It's called recorder for, Recorders for Beginners. It says that there's 25 notes that I got to be able to play on this. I can play eight of them. Um, I learned that song, The Solid Rock, I Can Play It, because it's in the key of F. F is a good key. It's a nice key. There's a lot of hymns in our hymn book that are in F. Uh, but it's the only key that I can play in. Um, there's 30 keys in, in music. Major keys, minor keys. That's the only key I can play. 
so I can play one song poorly. So I ask again, can I play the recorder? Uh, I mean, kind of, right? Kind of? Okay, let me ask you another question. The answer is going to be the same. Can people who don't know God love? I, I, I don't, kind of? Well, that leads to another question. Here's a question. What is the difference between the love that people who don't know God, the way John thinks we should know God, what's the difference between that sort of love and the love that John is commending here for us, those of us who do know God? What's the difference between those two? Uh, it's not some of the things that might come to your mind at first. I don't think. It's not, uh, well, this type of love, this love of those who don't know God is, is phony love. It's not real love. I'm not sure that's the answer. Jesus warns us against phony love. He says there's people who do their acts of mercy and are charitable only to be seen by others. I don't think, though, that's the difference. Some of you might think, well, the difference between the love of those who don't know God and the love of those who do know God is self-sacrifice. That, that, that this type of love, knowing God, is sacrificial love, except there's a lot of tombstones in Arlington National, Arlington National Cemetery over the graves of sailors and airmen and soldiers and marines. And some of them know God and some of them don't. And, and they lay down their lives for people. I don't think it's self-sacrifice. I don't think the difference is generosity. I'm grateful for the generosity of all people regardless of their creed. I go to libraries and I've been in hospitals and I've been to schools and museums uh, that have been built by generous people. And, and I'm grateful for, for them. I don't, I don't think that's the difference. What is the difference uh, in the love between those who don't know God and those who do know God? I think the answer is in this passage. And I think that if I am able to show you that in this passage, it will change how you interact with your family members or with your spouse or with members of the church. I'm going to get at that question this morning, and I'm going to get at it actually through the, the side door a little bit. Uh, it's my responsibility to move through the text carefully and completely, so I'm going to get to that question from a slightly different angle. Here's how I want to proceed for the next few minutes as we walk through this text. This paragraph, I think, makes a case for why followers of Jesus love one another. That's what it is. Why do we love one another? John says, let me give you reasons. He has three reasons. Uh, let me just point out one thing before I, I mention them. It, that phrase, love one another, is three times in these six verses. Did you see that? Verse 11, it's a, a command. Let us love one another. Uh, verse 11, it's a deduction. So we also ought to love one another. And in verse 12, it's a hypothetical, if we love one another. Here's why followers of Jesus love one another. Let me tell you those reasons up front, and then we're going to go through uh, all three of them in time. Why do, why do followers of Jesus love one another? First, because God is love. We're going to talk about the nature of God, and, and love is a family trait. So it's in God. Now, secondly here, why do we love one another? Because God has loved us in Christ. So the first reason about his nature, who he is, the second reason about his work, what has he done? He has loved us in Christ. That's why we love one another. 
And then third, I want you to see this morning that God is seen, he is revealed through our love. There's his his self-revelation, so his nature, his work, and his own glory. And those are the three things that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Let's start, though, talking about his nature. Why do we love one another? We love one another because God is love. Verse 7, again, it's worth reading. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is rooted in God. Love comes from God. Love is an essential part of his character and it's a family trait of those who are born of him. Now we're going to talk about God's love for a minute. Yesterday I read a a line from Andrew Wilson. Andrew Wilson is a pastor and an author. He uh, serves in Great Britain. He and his wife, Rachel, have written a wonderful book about uh, raising um, uh, the gift of and raising their children with disabilities. They have two children with pretty severe disabilities. written a wonderful book about that. Andrew Wilson is his name. But he said, talking about the love of God is like trying to tackle a pool table. You can give it everything you have, but you'll never get your arms around it and you'll never knock it over. Well, let's try, shall we? Uh, We love one another because God is love. That phrase, God is love. In his writings, John uses a phrase like that, God is, three times. In John 4.24, the gospel, he says, God is spirit. This is a statement about his transcendental nature. He is a spirit. He does not have a body like us. He is spirit. Then in 1 John 1.5, John says, God is light. So God is spirit. God is light. That's a reference to his holiness. And here in this passage, both in verse 8 and then verse 16, which we'll look at uh, some other time, it says God is love. He is spirit, he is light, and he is love. Now in our culture, we're tempted to flip that phrase around, aren't we? God is love and love is God. No one does that with light. No one says light is God, but we do it with love. And that's not what John says. What John is saying here is that everything that God does is an expression of love. Love is not a part of God. God is not part love, part wisdom, part sovereign, part just, part power. No, love is essential to who he is and what he does. His wisdom is loving wisdom. His justice is loving justice. His power is loving power. His sovereignty is loving sovereignty. At the same time, his love is wise love. It's just love. It's holy love. It's powerful love. Love is so central to who God is that you can say of him, God is love. Now I have an illustration to use and some of you aren't going to like it, but hang on with me for just a minute. We'd like you to think about what our friends in Boston and Massachusetts are thinking about as they arose from their slumbers this morning. Uh, there's no football today except the Pro Bowl, and that doesn't really count. But there's um, next week. Next week is going to be Super Bowl Sunday. And some of them, if you ask them about their thoughts this morning, are thinking to themselves, Tom Brady is football. It's not an unreasonable... No one should have amen that. Did somebody amen that? <laughs> it's time for church discipline. Okay, so... Um, now... That's not an unreasonable statement. It's not unreasonable to say Tom Brady is 
football. He, especially if you live in New England, right? He's been the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots for 16 seasons. He's led them to eight Super Bowls, five Super Bowl victories. I know at this point in time I need to say that one of their losses was thanks to the Philadelphia Eagles. I have to say that right now, but we'll move on, okay? This is not an unreasonable statement. He's a phenomenal player, so closely associated with football in New England. They don't have any college teams, right? So, well, Harvard, but come on. So closely associated with football in New England that you say Tom Brady is football. Now, maybe this is more to your liking. Most Eagles fans really like Nick Foles. Right? He's the backup quarterback. All accounts is he's leaving the team. This year he's going to be recruited by somebody else. Some of you want him to stay. Some of you want him to be the starting quarterback instead of Carson Wentz. But the Eagles uh, management has been very clear. Carson Wentz is the future of the Philadelphia Eagles. You can associate the future of the Philadelphia Eagles with Carson Wentz. In New England, you can put Tom Brady together with football. They belong together. God is love. This statement is is bound up in God's Trinitarian nature. From all eternity, God has been love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Son. Everything that God does is an overflow of the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I can illustrate that from Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, God is angry with the kings of the world... The Bible says, God rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Why is God angry? God is angry because the kings of the earth will not acknowledge God's king. This is his son. God's justice in Psalm 2 is an expression of his love. He loves his son and he is angry with those who will not bow down to his son. See how his justice is an overflow of his love? Now notice here in 1 John 4, John says that everyone who has been born of God and knows God loves. This is the imagery of birth that John loves so much. The new birth, the second birth, being born again, it's a real in-time experience. Not everyone has been born of God the way John is describing here. But those who have been born of God love. If you claim to be born of God and you don't love... All you have is eight notes in one key and a recorder. Love's a family trait. I was excited a couple years ago when my cousin Dan and his wife Lisa moved to Millersville to start a chapter of FCA uh, at Millersville University. This is the closest I have ever lived to one of my cousins. It's unusual. This is not a common Lancaster County experience, but here I was in my 40s, Dan much, much older than I am. And finally... (laughs) We were living close to each other. So we've spent more time together in the last couple of years than, than my whole life. And actually, to my great joy, I have discovered that I like Dan's family. All of them. That's good. Some of you have relatives you don't like. I have relatives that I do like. It's been great. And when we spend time together, occasionally something happens that reminds me that though I have not spent a lifetime with them, we're actually family. I'll give you an example. It's gross. Some of you will like it. So when my father was a child and he and his brothers and sister would sit around the table after dinner, my grandmother would bring out a homemade cake that she had made, a pre-sliced 
homemade cake. And my, father's, my father and my uncles, when they saw a piece of cake they wanted, they would lick their fingers and stick their finger in it. Right? My grandmother was a God-fearing woman, and this is how her sons treated her fine cake. It was terrible. She was a long-suffering woman, too. Well, uh, this past week we were at Dan and Lisa's house for cake and ice cream, and one of my cousin's sons, who shall remain nameless, the cake was brought out and the cake was sliced, and he turned to me and he said, normally when I see a piece of cake that I want, I lick my finger and I stick it in it. And I thought to myself, these are my people. (laughs) I thought, I know that story. I've heard that story over and over again. That story, you're my people, right? And then I thought, Lisa, in addition to my grandmother, is a God-fearing and long-suffering mother. Right? I, we're, we're among my people. These are my roots, my people. You can tell members of a family. Several years ago, uh, Luke, he was, I don't know, in first or second grade. Luke and Nathaniel Fry are in the same grade, and there is, they have a cousin. Nathaniel has a cousin named Landon. And one day Luke met Landon. I'm not sure how he did it, some school event or something, but he met Landon. And we said to Luke later, we said, hey, Luke, did you know that Landon and Nathaniel Fry, that they're cousins? And Luke said, oh, yeah, I could tell. Really? How? He said they have the same haircut. (laughs) Right? There's a resemblance. We'll, We'll explain genetics later to him. Think about this. You can tell some family members, right, they have all got red hair and freckles. Some family members, they all have, some families all have musical talent. They can all sing. They can all play at some instrument. I, I think about this one at Frank Lehman's funeral. Do you remember Frank Lehman's funeral? His family got up to sing. There were like 40 of them up here, and they all could sing. It's disgusting, right? So they could all play the recorder. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Uh, some families all have heart disease. But in God's family, in God's family, it's love. We love one another. These are my people because we love, because God is love, and we're born of him. Why do followers of Jesus love one another? Because God is love. It's in his nature. It's in our nature, those of us who are born of him. Now, let's move on here. Reason number two why followers of Jesus love love one another. God has loved us in Christ. Here's here's what he's done. He's loved us in Christ. God expresses his love in a multitude of ways. A multitude of ways God shows his love. But the pinnacle, the pinnacle of his love is described for us in verse 9. That's why it says, this is how God has showed, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's so much to talk about in these verses. Uh, You're familiar with much of it. Did did it occur to you, I wonder if it occurred to you as I was reading this verse, how much this sounds like John 3.16, doesn't it? God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The things are there, just like this. Um, God's love, he's sent, his son, his one and only son, that we might have life, parallels. And the implication of this verse, of course, is that without the son, we're dead. We have to have the son 
or we're dead. We have to have this sent gift so that we can have life. I think the parallels between verses 9 and 10 are so helpful. I, 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 it's wonderfully written. In verse 9, he sent his one and only son so that we might live. And then in verse 10, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The two of those things are very closely related. Our life and his atoning sacrifices. sacrifice. Why are, <coughs> why are we dead? Because of our sin. What do we need? We need a savior. We need a sacrifice. We need a substitute. Someone who will pay the penalty that we owe because of our sins. This reminds me so much of of Ephesians 2. Paul begins in Ephesians 2 and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Physically dead, but uh, physically alive, but spiritually dead. Did you ever have a moment in your house when you broke some rule, some cardinal rule? It was report card season, isn't it? Uh, maybe your report card came home and it was just bad. Your parents looked at it and then they looked at you and they said, go to your room. I will be up in a few minutes. So you went up to your room and you sat down in your bed and you thought, uh-oh, it is coming. It is coming. Here I have all the freedom that I'm going to have right now in my room for the next next uh, 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 whatever punishment, whatever next weeks. Here I have the most freedom, but judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The Bible tells us that we are physically alive and spiritually dead and what we deserve is God's wrath. His judgment is coming. But, Paul says, you who are alienated from God, cut off from Him because of your sin, because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. By grace you've been saved. So how did God make us alive with Christ? In an act of his grace we received by faith. I have a debt that I could not pay uh, with my life. 10,000 years of hellish judgments would not be sufficient for me to make up for my sins. Jesus paid that debt. And God gives life to all who receive it from him by turning and trusting in his son. This is, this is love. Verse 10 begins with that wonderful phrase, This is love, not that we loved God. I am not the measure of God's love. When we think about God's love, we don't start with ourselves. We're not the ones who initiated this loving relationship with God. Knowing God, being reconciled to God doesn't begin with us. It starts with God. Love started with Him. Romans 5, someone might dare possibly to die for a good man. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Now, John applies this in verse 11, and we should take a moment to do that too, shouldn't we? Verse 11, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word so, I think, is so important. So, or maybe you could translate it be better, thusly. Since thusly God has loved us, we also ought to love one another in the same way. God's love is self-sacrificial. God's love is, it meets real needs. And it wasn't a, an exchange. It wasn't an exchange, a fair exchange. That's, I think, one of the great temptations when we think about love, especially when we think about love with your friends or with fellow church members. 
our great temptation is to love those, to only love those who love you back or to love those who love you first. She sent me a birthday card. I better send her a birthday card. He helped me move. I better go help him move. They bought us a gift. Well, I better help buy them a gift, right? Those are all the signs of a polite community. They're not necessarily the signs of a loving community. Love doesn't depend on payback. It's not bought with kindness. Divine love is generous to those without the ability to pay back. It's actually the sort of love that Jesus commended. If you define love in your marriage as only an exchange, it will kill your marriage. It will eat away at a church like cancer. Remind yourself of this when you're getting ready to teach your Sunday school class and you're tired or you think of things you'd rather do. This is love. Not that my Sunday school class loves me, but that I love my Sunday school class. When you're baking something to take a meal for somebody who had a baby or surgery or something. This is love. Not that they loved me, but that I loved them. That's how God has loved us. Thusly, he has loved us. So we love one another. I also think that verses 9, 10, and 11 here help us find the crucial difference in the sort of love shown by those who know God as opposed to those who don't know God. Do you remember we started with that? The question, can I play the recorder? Eh. Can people who don't know God love? Eh. Again, what's the difference between the sort of love of those who don't know God as opposed to those who do know God, the love of, of the do know God? Follow me here. The pinnacle revelation of the love of God is the gift of his own son who has come to be our sin bearer on the cross. This is how we know what God's love is. This is the pinnacle of God's love. And I think the same is true in, in any human loving relationship. The highest way that you show love is by connecting people to the good news of God's son and what he has done. What distinguishes the love of those who don't know God from the love of those who do know God is that the love of those who do know God is capable of connecting people who don't know God with the God who is love. It is the most loving thing that you can do. The highest and the best form of love is to connect people to the greatest treasure that has ever been God himself. Godless love, all those romance novels, all those, romance, all those romantic movies... All those songs on Spotify are godless. They're Christless. They're devoid of any contact of the great God. That, I think, is the difference between the sort of love that can be displayed by those who don't know God as opposed to the sort of love of those who do know God. Christless, godless love is like showing people the stars from downtown Philadelphia. You can maybe see a couple of them. But the love that connects people with a God who is love is like taking them to Montana and showing them the sky, the glory that's there. Imagine a family that lives in a shack. They live in a shack, a one-room shack. There's no glass in the windows. Uh, it's oil cloth. Uh, let's in some light, but, but not a lot of cold air. There's no plumbing. You have to haul water in the house. The outhouse is out back. They have electricity, but there's just one bulb dangling from the ceiling of this house. 
The children, though, that are raised in this shack, they're loved. They're fed most of the time when there's enough food. In fact, they get to lie and share the food in the house. They're loved. They're clothed. They have a place to sleep. Um, they're taught to read and write, and they're given skills. One day, though, these children, they go out and they're, they're exploring in the woods and they come to a hill they've never been to, but it looks down into this valley and in this valley they can see this beautiful, gigantic stone palace surrounded by this beautiful gate, the, the fence with a, with a gate that's gilded. It's wonderful. Gardens, they can see servants. Behind the palace they can see fields of food, houses lit up brilliantly with lights, they, they go home and they say to their mother, um, what's, what's that, that house over there? Parents are there. Their parents are there. What's that house? Oh, that? Huh, that's your father's family home. We could live there, but we decided to live here in this shack instead. The children, they're, they're shocked. We love you kids. You know that we love you. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But in comparison to what we could have, it doesn't really feel like love. Godless Christless love falls short. If you love someone, if you really love them, you will introduce them to the God who is love. You will tell them about the pinnacle of his love, his own son. Everything else, and by that I mean everything else, everything else, an education, a home, Christmas cards and presents, uh, a new car, music lessons, family game nights, vacations, everything else by comparison is not real love in comparison to telling them about the God who is love. If you love your girlfriend, you will tell her about God's son. If you love your neighbor, if you love your grandchildren, you will tell them. You will connect them with the God who is love. You are never more loving to your children. You are never more loving to your friends than when you tell them about the God who is love. The best truth that they can ever know is the good news about Jesus. The best possession they can ever have is eternal life through knowing him. The best friendship they can ever enjoy is with a God who is love. If you do not tell them, you do not really love them. Do you know why God sent his son so that we could know him? The best of all knowing. He loves us and so he told us about himself. If you love someone, you will share with them this good news. And your friendship will be a cultivation of that good news. So by that measure, do you love your friends? Do you love the people at church? Connecting them with the God who is love? It's the pinnacle of God's love. It's the pinnacle of love is to connect people with the God who is love. Now, let's finish this morning, shall we? We're going to finish by looking at the final reason why followers of Jesus love one another. Here it is. God is seen through our love. God is seen through our love. So we've talked about his nature. God is love. So we're in his family. We love one another. Uh, We love one another because God has loved us in Christ. And the overflow of that is to connect people to that great God through him. Now third, God is seen through our love. Verse 12 again. Let's look at it. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's unusual that John goes in this direction. No one has seen God. No one has seen... Why why does he say that? Sounds a lot like John 1.18, actually, the Gospel of John. Uh, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So, John says it twice. No one has seen God, but Jesus has revealed him. 
No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Our love for one another is one of the ways that God is manifest in the world. It is the full flowering, it's the completion, it's the perfection of the love that God has for us. He loves us, and His love for us comes to full maturity when we love one another, and when we love one another, people say, wow. Christopher Ashe wrote a few years ago about a disagreement that was taking place within the British government. So there was the foreign office, the people in charge of the ambassadors and embassies around the world, and the treasury, the money people. And the argument was over which one of the British ambassadors would receive Rolls Royces for their duty. And uh, the, the um, treasury, the money people, said we should save the Rolls Royces for only the, the most important places on the earth. Uh, maybe Washington, Moscow, Paris. But the ambassadors everywhere, they don't need Rolls Royces. But the foreign office argued uh, that they all needed uh, Rolls Royces. And here's what they, what they said. They said, most people in a foreign capital have never been to Britain. They'll never go to Britain. Uh, but when they see that magnificent car gliding down the road, wherever they are, they, they'll say to themselves, that flag, that United Kingdom flag, they'll say to themselves, I've never been to Britain. I don't know what Britain is like. But if they make cars like that in Britain, then I want to go to Britain. Followers of Jesus Christ, we love one another. We love one another. I don't know God. I don't know the Jesus whom they speak. But if he makes that, I want to know him. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, we show what God is like, that he is a wonder. This passage uh, reminds us, I think, that those who receive God's love are transformed by God's love. God's love is transformative. To know it is to be transformed by it. I think that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. (laughs) How is that possible? God's good work. Knowing God's love transforms you. It fills you with God's fullness. It puts glory on on display. Maybe that's why John wrote so much about God's love. That's why he wrote about it so much. Because if we know his love, we'll love one another. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, beloved, let us love one another. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and uh, we are grateful to you for this reminder. Again, another passage about God's love, about your love here in this book. We trust you that you know what we don't and you know what we need to hear And and we need to hear over and over again, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Lord, we're prone not to love, but you know we're prone to gossip. 
We're prone to envy. We're prone to bitterness. We're prone to, to jealousy. We're br- prone to pride. Self-dejection. So many ways for us to fail in this command. Father, I pray you who are love, I pray that you would remind us of your great love and that you would transform us by those truths. How thankful we are to you that you sent the Lord Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, satisfied your wrath, paid the penalty we owed, died, rose again for us. Oh Lord, you have commanded us to love one another. Now we pray that you would work in us your will, that we would work it out, uh, this command to love one another. Help us, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.